parents? My mom. <laughs> why, why do you give her a phone call? Because she supports me in my whining. Uh, my parents, usually. Why do you call your parents? Because they always have the answers. My mommy. Why is that? Because she's older and wiser than I am. And she's always there for me no matter what. The Lord. God. A friend. Yeah. Why do you go to that friend? Um, I trust them. Okay. Their opinions. When I'm having a bad day, I call the wife. Why do you do that? Because she knows me best. She calms me down and steers me right. In the psalmist's life, when he was in trouble, uh, he knew exactly who to go to. Listen to what he says in Psalm 5, verse 2. It says, listen to my cry for help, my King and my God, for I pray to no one but you. Isn't it awesome to know that when we have things going on in our life, that the wheels are coming off, things aren't working right, that we know that we can go to the Lord and lay those things before him, and he's always there to listen. And more than just listen, he's able to do something about them. Well, I'd like to open the service this morning by just reading a scripture verse from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The Bible says, but remember that the temptations that come into your life are no different from what others experience. Well, that's somewhat helpful right there because on occasion we can believe that we've got stuff in our life that nobody else has ever dealt with. But it is comforting to know that what we have is consistent with life. The Bible says, and God is faithful. He will keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you can't stand up against it. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you will not give in to it. Well, I've, I've known that verse all my life. I've taught from it, preached from it. It's been part of my spiritual DNA. And I always thought the main part of that verse, the main gist of it, was that God would not allow you to encounter more difficulty or challenge or temptation in life than you're, you're able to handle. God would give you the strength to handle it. And that's certainly true. In fact, many of you have gone through things that if, if you had known about what you were going to go through before it happened, you would have said to yourself, there's no way I can handle this. But once you got there, you discovered that there was a strength that you didn't know about. Maybe you lost your job or you went through a health scare or, or perhaps your home broke apart. You would have never chosen that or even thought you could deal with it. But when you did get there, the grace of God was there for you and, and you discovered a strength that you hadn't anticipated. That's what I thought the main part of that verse was until about four and a half years ago, one late August night, when God showed me something that I'd never really seen before. It all started the night before my oldest son went back for his third year of college. He was going to fly out for Florida the next day, and I wanted to make sure that that last evening before he left home that he and I spent together just doing basically whatever... He, it was that he wanted to do. I told him, I'll take you to dinner. I'll take you shopping. We'll just go someplace, wherever you want. I just want to hang out with you this last night before you fly out to college. My oldest son, Jonathan, is a real sentimental guy. And uh, he, he especially likes to look back on things that were really pleasant in his childhood. And he attaches to those things. And he sort of blew me out of the water when he said to me, Dad, what I'd really like to do is I'd, I'd like to go to the park. When, when I was a little kid, you'd take me to the park and we would swing on the swings together. He said, Really, that, that's what I'm thinking about. That's what I'd like to do. By this time, it's starting to get dark. There's a storm coming up, lightning's, you know, off in the, in the northwest. And I, I, I drive Jonathan to the park, and here we are. Jonathan's almost 6'3", and I'm over 6 feet tall. And a couple of grown men out at the park swinging on the swings at night. Must have looked, looked pretty peculiar. But Jonathan had something pretty heavy on his mind. He, he said, Dad, I need to talk with you. He said, 
I, I've had to change my major twice. He had gone to, the, it was a Christian college, and he, he at first had started the computer science program, but when he got there, he found out that their department was woefully behind times and lacking, and then he had switched to broadcasting, which was something that he was interested in, but there were some issues with that, and now he was looking at, at changing his major for the third time. And he said, Dad, I'm really struggling with that. He said, I don't like to be the kind of person that does this and does this and does that, but he said, I, I'm really struggling with this. And he said, more, more than that, and he said, I've taken some courses. I don't know if they're ever going to help me or if I'm ever going to get anywhere with them. He said, Dad, what advice would you give me? Well, those of you who are parents of teens or young singles, you, you, you know what this moment is like because your son, your daughter is looking to you for counsel, but in the specific area that he was asking me about, I had absolutely no knowledge. Uh, when it comes to computer science, on occasion I can turn my computer on. That's about that's about the extent of what I'm able to do. I have familiar lanes that I operate with the programs that I'm in, and I, I, I don't know how to, I, I sure couldn't do anything at any sophisticated level with the computer, and I wasn't prepared to answer him about that. I know absolutely nothing about broadcasting other than what I do here at the church, so I, I didn't have any knowledge of what to tell him about that. And I found myself having to answer him a very important question at a key moment in his life and I'm thinking to myself, I don't really know what to tell him. So as I swung on the swings and watched the storm coming up and thought from, and prayed about what to, what, what to say to Jonathan, I asked myself, what, what, what have I learned when I've had questions like Jonathan's questions? What, what have I learned in my life when the problems look too big for me to solve or too complicated, the questions were too complicated for me to answer? And I'd been through plenty of that. I've been through quite a bit of that in the last 21 years here at Messiah. Issues and challenges and questions that are too big for me. And I began to ask myself, what have I learned that I can tell my son, Jonathan? And the only words that came to my heart and my mind, just three words. I said, son, here's what I've learned. When, when things were so challenging I didn't have answers for them, I've learned one thing. I've learned that God is faithful. God will always keep his word. And God will be there for you. you may not, it may not work out the way you think it's going to work out. You may have to go through stuff that you hadn't anticipated. But whatever you go through, God is faithful. Now, while I swung there on the swing that night, and you, this may not resonate with you because I know I do something very different as pastor than perhaps what you do, but whenever God is really teaching me, especially for a sermon, it's like the floodgates will kind of open and God just starts bringing all these thoughts to my mind, and I'll know either God's got a series that he wants me to, to deal with or a sermon, and it's like God just began to open the scriptures and pour out all these verses to me that were stored in my memory bank about God's faithfulness, and I was overwhelmed that night as I swung on that swing about God's faithfulness, and I said, wow, this is awesome. God has a sermon for me to preach. And I had a conference that I was supposed to speak at in Texas the next week, and I thought, this is great. I'm going to this church to bring a conference, and God has this message for me. And I don't want to be hyper-spiritual about this kind of thing, but on occasion, the Holy Spirit will just check me and let me know that that's not what God has in mind. And that happened right then. It was like God said, no, this is not for the church in Texas. This is for Messiah. Well, the only problem was I wasn't going to be preaching at Messiah for, for almost two weeks because I had this conference in Texas, and I thought, wow, I'm going to have to set on this dynamic message that God has given me about his faithfulness, and I'm not even going to be at my church, and God won't let me preach it in Texas where I'm going. 
fact, I was beginning to wonder what was wrong with all those Texans that God did not want them to hear this message this coming week. A day or so later, I called the pastor of the church in Texas where I'd spoken for 11 straight years at this conference, and I, I said, Billy, I, I should be getting there sometime this Saturday about such and such a time. And he said, Mark, are you coming this Saturday? And I said, well, yeah, I'm on the schedule. I'm supposed to be there this Saturday. And he said, no, no, no. He said, we've got you down coming the following Sunday. And he said, wait a minute, let me check on something. And so he called me back a few minutes later, and he did what most good senior pastors do when they don't want to take responsibility for something that's gone wrong. He blamed a member of his staff. He said one of his associate pastors had looked at the previous year and transposed the dates from the previous year to the week, and he said, we've got you coming the wrong week, but he said, Mark, it's okay. He said, you go ahead and come this week, and, and he said, we'll, uh, he said we'll, we'll, we'll find some way to make it work out. And I said, no, I'm going to come the week you've got me scheduled. God has a message for my church. I don't understand it, but God's got a message he wants me to bring to my church. And perhaps some of you were here that day four and a half years ago now when I stood before you and I said, I don't even know why I'm here. I'm not supposed to be here today. I'm supposed to be in Texas. But for some reason, God has a message for me to give you, and, and he's left me here in town to tell you, and, and I preached to you a message simply entitled, God is Faithful. I didn't know why God left me here. But I, I knew that God had wanted me to preach to you that you're going to go through things that you don't understand and there will be circumstances that happen in your life. There won't be anything that you'll know. There won't be any answer that you'll come. I was sharing what I'd given to Jonathan, what God had taught me. I said, I don't understand this, but for some reason God has left me here in town to tell you when, when the wheels fall off, God's still there. Two days later was September 11th. And many of us felt in the middle of the week, that God had left me here with the message for us of God's faithfulness. What's ironic was after that was over, I was traveling all over the country, which was a very strange time to travel, I can tell you that. I went through many peculiar things, going to Florida and Missouri and Texas and other states that God took me. I took that message all over the country. God is faithful. And in the last four and a half years, I've preached that almost coast to coast. God is faithful. But as I, I got ready for this service today, and Lance was preparing the worship music for you, and as we were going to celebrate the faithfulness of God, I began to ask myself, what have I learned in the last four and a half years about God's faithfulness? And I took that sermon that I preached all over the country, and I tore it up, and I said, we're going to start from scratch today, and we're going to look at God's faithfulness. What has God taught me about His faithfulness, and specifically His faithfulness in three areas? For the next few moments, I want to talk to you about the fact that God is faithful to you, and he's faithful in so many ways, but especially in three. Before I get into that, could I just say this? God is so faithful that it's even part of his name. In the book of the Revelation, the Bible tells about Jesus coming back to our earth, riding on a horse as king of kings. I want you to listen to what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. The Bible says, And I saw heaven open, and a white horse was standing there, and one, the one sitting on the horse was named Faithful and True. Jesus is so faithful that it is part of his name. It is so much a part of his character that he is even named the one who is faithful. Let me give you three thoughts about God's faithfulness, and we'll go home this morning. Here's the first one. God is faithful to never give up on us. God is so faithful, he will never give up on us. 
You know, one of the issues that many of us think about from time to time is what happens if God decides that he just is tired of working with us? You know, the challenge is not making a friend. The challenge is in keeping a friendship. Many of you know what that's like. You made friends, but the tough thing is in staying friends, especially when you're in close proximity. Imagine the challenge that God has in remaining our God and our friend because he not only sees what we do, everything, he knows every thought of our minds. And yet the Bible tells us that God is so faithful, he will never give up on us. There will never be a point, there will never be a moment in time when God will look down upon you or upon me and say, I don't want to be your father anymore. What God wants you to know from the very beginning is that he is so faithful, he will never give up on you. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. By the way, so many of these verses have the word faithful in them, so sort of watch for that as we go through these scriptures. The Bible says, Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until that day when our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God who calls you is faithful. He will do this. You know what, you know how good you have to be to go to heaven? That's a good question, isn't it? How good do you have to be to go to heaven? The answer is perfect. That's all you have to be, perfect. Wow, we're in a lot of trouble, right? I can't even be perfect for one hour. And yet the Bible says that's what it takes to get to heaven. But Scripture tells us that God is so powerful and He loves us so much and through what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, through His awesome strength, and I don't, even, I don't know how He does this, but God is able to see us as being perfect and right in His sight. Whenever you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God writes your name in heaven on the census book of heaven. But underneath your name is the record of Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? When we see ourselves, we see all our faults, at least the ones we can remember. But when God sees us, he sees perfection. He sees the record of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, let me take a moment to say this. We're talking about the faithfulness and the trustworthiness of God. Somebody could say, Mark, why is that important? Because this is the thing. The way that you become a member of God's family, the way that you have eternal life, the way that you can go to heaven is through trusting Jesus Christ. It's not in joining a church. It's not in doing good works. It's not in being religious. None of those things will get you out of Sedgwick County when you die. It's not in being baptized. It's not in being, taking the sacraments. It's not in being baptized as a baby. None of those things will get you anywhere. The Bible is empirically clear from cover to cover. There is only one way to know God and to have everything subtle between you and God, and that is for you to believe on Jesus Christ, for you to trust Him. When Jesus died on the cross... That death became a payment for every sin you and I have ever committed or ever will commit. And so a person receives eternal life when he or she trusts Jesus. That's so big. That's what God wants more than anything else. You say, Mark, God wants me to give my money. Hey, God wants you to trust him. That's the most important thing. He brings everything. He's God, the creator of the universe. He is the one who owns everything. What he wants from you and what he wants from me is our faith and our trust. And God is saying this, God is saying he is faithful to keep us pure and holy, completely spotless until the day that we see Jesus Christ. Now, 
Somebody could say, wait a minute, Mark. I accepted Jesus as my Savior 10 years ago, but you don't know how I've messed up since that time. I've been up and down and back and forth and good days and bad days and there are days in my life when I've said things and done things that a Christian shouldn't do. Well, I'll bet that's right at about 100% of us that fall into that category. Listen to this. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, the Bible says, But if we confess our sins to him, to him, not to a priest, not to a preacher, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful. Look at that. He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. I love that, don't you? That means that when we mess up, when we sin, we can go straight to Jesus. You don't have to go through the saints. You don't have to go through me. You don't have to go through Mary. You don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go to anybody. Go straight to Jesus. And you can tell him what you've done wrong. Now, you know what? I wouldn't have been surprised if the Bible would have said that he is merciful to forgive us. Because that's true. Mercy means God not giving us what we deserve. So when we sin, we expect, we, we, we desire, we crave the mercy of God. God not punishing us for what we deserve. And God has promised that. But it's interesting that the Bible doesn't say if we confess our sins that he is merciful to forgive us. It could have said that. That would have been great. But God does something even better. He says, if you confess your sin, he's faithful to forgive you. Now, I'm going to get into a little bit of a, an area that may make some of you uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. But certain things in the Bible are true, and you have to accept them. The Bible either says what it says or it doesn't say what it says. This is such an amazing truth. I struggle with it. But what the Bible is saying that if I sin, God is, I can trust God to forgive me of that sin. That means even tomorrow if I sin, I don't know what's out there. I don't want to sin. Somebody would say, well, if I believe this, I'd sin all I want to. Listen, if I sin one time, I sin more than I want to sin. But I know going into tomorrow, even if I don't know what I'm going to do wrong, I know going into tomorrow that if I sin, I know that God can be trusted to forgive me of that sin. Now, I want to draw a real clear distinction because some of you are going to get real uncomfortable with that from the very beginning. I want you to understand what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you can plan to sin and say, well, I'm going to go ahead and do wrong, God, forgive me. That's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is you know the kind of relationship that you're in with God, that he has covenanted, he has promised you that tomorrow when you fail, he has promised you that you can trust him to forgive you of your sin. And you say, well, Mark, I, that sounds kind of light on sin. Can I ask you a straight question? Isn't that what you have to have? I mean, don't you know yourself well enough to know that if you don't have that, you're in real trouble? <laughs> I do. I, that's what I have to have. I, I'm not saying God is light on sin. God is God. His sin put Jesus Christ on the cross, but he is saying to you, he is so faithful that even before tomorrow, even before tomorrow's failures, you know that you're in the kind of relationship where he can be trusted to forgive you of your sins. See, what God wants you to know from the very beginning is he is never going to give up on you. You may give up on him, you may fail him, but he's never going to give up on you. What an awesome God. Hey, you find me another religion that'll do that. First of all, I don't think Christianity is a religion, but you find me a religion that'll offer you that, and I'll eat your hat. Hey, there's nobody but Jesus who'll offer you that. So much love, so much grace, that the creator of the universe would say, I love you so much that even when you fail me, you can trust me. I'll forgive you for what you've done wrong. 
Wow, what an awesome God. Let's go to number two. Second thing, he always keeps his word. God is faithful. He always keeps his word. Listen to Psalm 145, verse 13. Your kingdom, speaking of God, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. I love, I love Proverbs, uh, excuse me, Hebrews 10, verse 23. Without wavering, let us hold tightly to the hope we say we have, for God can be trusted to keep his promises. Can I just tell you this morning, it's God's promises that keep me going. Because there's so much in life that's uncertain. Remember last week we talked about commitment in marriage and how important it is in a sea of uncertainty to have an island of certainty. And we talked about how that a covenant relationship, how a husband and a wife's promises to each other are that, uh, that island of certainty in a sea of uncertainty. But God is so much greater than that. God gives us, an, uh, he gives us a sea of certainty. God is the one who makes us all these promises. And even when we don't know what life's about or what's going wrong in our lives or why it's going wrong, God is still there to always keep his promises. Well, when I was a boy in church, I was taught that there are 7,000 promises in the Bible. I never found them all. But I know that there are many thousands of promises that God makes to us. But because our time is limited today, I wondered if we couldn't just categorize them into two areas. And it's much broader than this, but there are two areas in which God makes promises to you. If you want to think about God's promises, see if these two areas don't pretty well get close to saying it all. God's first area of promise to you is that he will never leave you. It doesn't mean that you won't go through tough times, but what it does mean is that God will always be there. And he'll go through it with you. You may have to go to the funeral home, but he'll be there with you. You may have to go to the hospital, but he won't leave your side. He'll stay with you all the time. You may have to go through a breakup of your family, but God will always be there. Even if the people that you count on walk away, God is saying, I'll always be there. He has said, the Bible says, he will never leave us nor forsake us. Yesterday morning, I got a lesson in this. I went to McDonald's and took my youngest son, Stephen, with me. And we were, we were sitting there having breakfast together and talking about his school week. And, and uh, we were toward the back of the McDonald's, not too far away from the restrooms. And I saw a young mother walk in, looked like about a six-year-old girl and a four-year-old boy. And the girl was right behind her, and the boy was trotting behind his mother and sister. And the mother, I guess, determined that the kids need to wash their hands before they have breakfast. So she was taking them back toward the restroom. And mother walked in the ladies' restroom. Her daughter walked in the ladies' restroom. A little four-year-old boy was just about to walk into the restroom following the line when all of a sudden his eyes went up and he saw the silhouetted skirt on the image there on the ladies' restroom. And he just stopped dead in his tracks. I was watching all this from a few feet away. You hear about, you know, some people talk about their inner child. This little boy had an inner man. And his inner man would not let him go into the ladies' restroom. And, and, and I watched him, man, he crossed his arms, and he stood like this. Boy, you knew that little four-year-old boy's body English real well. He's not going into that lady's bathroom. And his mother tried different things to get him to do it. She, she, she tried to explain to him why important it was for him to wash his hands. And then she got tough with him. She said, you come in here right now. 
And she went through a whole lot of stuff. But, and it was kind of strange because the lady had the uh, door open to the ladies' restroom, you know, and her daughter was already in there, and she was having to, and her son was out here, and, and, daughter, and she was in that kind of limbo. And you, moms, you kind of know what she was going through at that moment. But, I mean, there wasn't anything she could do. She couldn't threaten. She couldn't promise. She couldn't do anything. That little boy's inner man just not going to let him go in the ladies' restroom. And finally, she did the only thing that was left in her arsenal. She walked out of the restroom doorway and started walking down the, the lane there between the tables at McDonald's as if she were going to leave him. And the moment she did that, she got his attention big time because he began to cry and beg her not to leave him. And when the mom realized that she had applied enough leverage to the situation, she, of course, never having intended to leave him, turned around, and he started following her into the restroom. And I don't know if it was just that he realized he had been conned or if he just, you know, his little inner man rose up again because just as they got to the door, he decided he wasn't going to go in this time either. <laughs> I was just having the time of my life watching this little dance go on, you know. And I thought, I'm thankful my sons are older and I don't have to deal with this kind of thing anymore. But, you know, it's just the points when your kid's just not going to obey. And so the mother performed the exercise again. And this time, she walked a little further. And he cried, and then he agreed he would go with her. And he, he walked behind her to the door, and just as he got to the door, he decided he wasn't going to go in this time. And finally, the mother realized she was going to have to really do something dramatic. So she turned around and walked all the way to the point where she walked out the door at McDonald's. And this time, he was so upset that with a crushed spirit, dutifully, he walked behind her into the restroom. And I began to think about, I mean, first of all, it was funny when I watched that, but then all of a sudden I got really serious because I wonder how many people do things that they don't believe are in their best interest just because they afra they're afraid of being left alone. How many girls, how many girls give up something that's precious to them? They give up, they give up themselves to some guy they don't want to do it. It's not, they know it's not in their best interest, but they do it because they're afraid if they don't, the boyfriend will walk away. How many people stay in abusive relationships and allow themselves to be beaten and sexually abused because they're afraid of being left alone? I mean, how many of us, how many of us do things that are, we know are not in our interest because we're just scared that we're going to be left alone? Isn't it awesome that our heavenly parent doesn't walk away as if to leave us? From the very beginning, he says to you, on your good days and on your bad days, I'm never going to leave you. On your tough times and your good times, I'm going to be there right by you. When you're smiling and when you're crying, God is saying, I'm going to be right there. I'm never going to leave you. Isn't it wonderful that God does not use his leverage against us? Isn't it great that God does not try to pull us to do something against our will by threatening to leave us? Others may walk away, but God wants you to know he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. So when I think about God's promises, first thing on my, first thing, if, if I'm categorizing God's promises, the first thing I think about is that God is never going to leave me. The second category of God's promises is this. that comes down to Romans 8, 28, that God is going to work everything out. Not everything that happens to Mark is going to be good, but God's going to take all the things that happen to Mark and he's going to work them for good. That is the awesome nature of God. God can take bad things that happen. By the way, God's not the source of bad things happening in your life. But the good news is that God can take the very worst things that happen to you, and he can take them and make something good out of them. How God does that, I don't know. He's just God. 
the things even that we do wrong, the failures that we make, God can still take those threads of disaster and weave them into a tapestry of grace. The Bible says in Romans 8, 28, God makes all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I was reading something this week that author Richard actually wrote about. He, he wrote about a minister friend who was in his pulpit 10 days after his son committed suicide. His text, Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, those who have been called according to his purpose. I'm going to read at this point what Richard Exley wrote in Leadership Magazine in 1992. Visibly struggling, he said, I cannot make my son's suicide fit into this passage. It's impossible for me to see how anything good can come out of it. Yet I realize I only see in part, I know in part. It's like the miracle of the shipyard. Almost every part of our great ocean-going vessels is made of steel. If you take any single part, be it a steel plate out of the hull or the huge rudder, or you throw it into the ocean, it will sink. Steel doesn't float. But when the shipbuilders are finished, when the last plate has been riveted in place, then that massive steel ship is virtually unsinkable. Taken by itself, my son's suicide is senseless. Throw it into the sea of Romans 8.28, and it sinks. Still, I believe that when the eternal shipbuilder has finally finished, when God has worked out his perfect design, even this senseless tragedy will somehow work to our eternal good. That's God. I, I love what that pastor said. There's so many things in life that are like the steel plate in the ship. You throw it in the sea of life, and it sinks, and we can't figure it out. But when God takes it and builds his great construction it'll be for his glory god's glory and our good well i've talked to you today about god's faithfulness number one he's faithful never to give up on us he's faithful number two to always keep his word to us and finally as we close out this morning the thing that has amazed me the most about god's faithfulness god is faithful to me even when i'm not faithful to him you hear me say week in and week out that I don't, I don't believe in religions. I believe in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus has offered me something that no religion could. The tenet of religion says, perform and you'll be accepted. Jesus said, you're accepted, now go live for me. But the thing that amazes me the most is that even when I'm not faithful to God, he's still faithful to me. There are myriad verses that to talk about this, but two that I, I want to give to you this morning. Psalm 146, verse 6 says, The maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, the Lord who remains faithful forever. Think about those words, remains faithful forever. That means that when I'm faithful to God, God's faithful to me. When I'm unfaithful to God, God is faithful forever. And somebody could say, Mark, that just sounds too implausible. Well, then see if you can break 2 Timothy 2.13 apart. Because it says simply this, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Wow. I get asked a question a lot as pastor of this church. People ask me, is it true, Mark, that if I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, 
that I'm always saved, that I can't be lost again? Well, yes, that's true. In the Bible, hundreds, hundreds of Bible texts, not just one or two, but hundreds of Bible texts speak to that. Jesus said, the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. My sheep hear my voice, he said, I know them, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. He said, nobody will be able to pluck them out of my hand. John 5, verse 24 says, he that hears my word and believes on him who sent me has everlasting life. Have you accepted Christ? Have you believed on him? Then you have everlasting life right now. If you could lose it tomorrow, it wouldn't be everlasting life. It would be term life. And this is too complicated for me to explain, but God does not deal in, the, in time. He created time for us to deal with. So here's the thing. If God saved you one day and you could be lost tomorrow, that, that, that would have been irrelevant to God because God doesn't deal with time anyway. He knows the end from the beginning. So there, there are hundreds of verses in the Bible that I could point to to show you that once you accept Christ, you, you're always saved. But most of the time, we look at it through the wrong way. We, we say, God, how can God hold on to me if I do wrong? How can God keep me in his family if I fail him? Well, that's, we ask, that's the wrong question to ask. Oh, I don't know why we ask it that way. Because it, it, God doesn't hold on to you because of who you are. We just read about it. God holds on to you because of who he is. Did you catch that a moment? Did your ear catch that? It said, the Bible says that when we're unfaithful, he stays faithful. He can't deny himself. He can't be less than he is. On the day that we're not what we should be, which is every day, he can't be less than he is. He is always faithful to us. How many of you have had times in your life when you got away from God? Maybe you dropped out of church or... You just maybe got into some stuff that was really bad. You got into some relationships that were harmful. And you got a long way away from God. You didn't want to hear any sermons. You didn't want to read the Bible. You didn't want to sing any worship. You just didn't want to see any Christian come your way. I mean, you've accepted Christ, but it was like stuff's not right in your life. And you're away from God. How many of you have encountered God at just such a moment? As if God is saying, I'm still here. I'm still here. That's the nature of his faithfulness. That even when we're unfaithful, he's still faithful. I listened to a lot of sermons growing up, or at least I was there when a lot of sermons were preached. I zoned out of a lot of them. But I remember my dad taking me to a revival meeting when I was a kid, and the guy was a pastor, and he told a story that I've never forgotten. It really made an impression on me. This pastor was telling about something that happened in his church. A young mother, wife in his church got infatuated with some other man. And she determined that she was going to leave her husband, walk away from her kids, and chase after this other guy. And there was a day when she determined she was going to make the cut. She took her wedding rings off and left them in the jewelry box and went off to take up with this other man, leaving her brokenhearted husband and two small children. One night she was out with her boyfriend. He'd had too much to drink, and he lost control of the car, and he had a telephone pole, and she got killed. And this pastor was telling about the funeral service. And it was a big crowd because she was a young woman. The church was filled, and you know how it is when you go to a funeral. People came by to see the, to see the coffin, to see the, the body there, last viewing. Finally, the point came where the crowd had pretty well gone through, and then there's that moment when the family comes through, you know, line by line, the family came by and paid their last respects until the point in the service where it was just the man and his two children. 
And the pastor said he watched as the man picked up his children one by one, let them say goodbye to their mother, and then he passed them on to another family member. And the pastor said, I would have never known this had I not been standing there and been the last person in the church except for this young husband. Because when everybody else had gone, the husband leaned over the coffin and he said to his wife one more time, just the words, I love you. And the pastor said he watched as this man reached into his own pocket and he pulled out those wedding rings that had been left there at the house. And he lifted her third finger on her left hand and slipped the ring back onto her finger. That is the kind of love God has for you. It's amazing. And it's, that's why I, I'm not an inherent to any religion, only to Jesus, because I only know of one who is still faithful when we're unfaithful. He is faithful. I'm not a genius. I'm not a super spiritual person. Wouldn't even consider myself a good Christian. But I do know what I'm preaching about this morning. I know that God will be there all throughout your life. If you will trust him, if you will invite him into your life, you have him forever. Would you bow your heads with me, please, for just a moment? With every head bowed and and just all of us in a prayerful moment, I have said to you that the only way to initiate or to get into a relationship with God is to trust Him, to trust Him as your Lord and Savior. It isn't joining a church. It's not being baptized. It's not being good. It's not keeping the Ten Commandments. It's accepting Him as your Savior and your Lord. If you've never done that today, you can do that. And somebody will say, well, Mark, what do I have to say to God to be saved? The answer is basically yes. Because Jesus died on the cross. His death was a payment for your sins, past, present, future. So that isn't something that you have to deal with. You couldn't deal with it. Jesus rose from the grave. He's in heaven right now. He's offering you eternal life as a free gift. Adoption into God's family, all of that is God's free gift to you. And all he's waiting for is for you to trust him and to say yes to him. Now, there are all kinds of words that you can use to pray to say yes to God, and he'll respond to all of them as long as they're from your heart. But I'm going to pray a prayer with you. And if you like, you can repeat the words after me, but mean them from your heart. If you'd like to begin a new life with Jesus, you can do that right now. Pray with me, please. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the grave. I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior. Come into my life. Forgive me. I trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you just made the greatest decision of your life. Would you stand with me, please? We're going to open the altars for a moment of prayer. and I'll be here at the front if anyone wants to come and visit with me. But right now, just whatever God's asking you to do, maybe you just need to focus on some area of your life and say, Lord, I'm going to give it to you. Right now, while we wait, you just obey him.